Hey, no name calling here. Just differing opinions going head to head. With Counterpoint. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. It is time for Counterpoint, so let's get to it. We got Michael Diamond, consultant. Uh, no, you're not a consultant. Public relations over at Upstream well, <laughs> Strategies, conservative campaign strategist. And we've got a new face and voice to the radio. We got Miriam Denis. Did I say that right? Yes, you did. Okay. That's my only French that you can I'll assure those listening that she does, in fact, have a face. Yeah, a pretty one, too. Um, consultant over at Daisy Group also worked once with the Liberal Party in Ontario and Quebec. All right. You guys will both know the politics of all this stuff then that we're talking about. But London, London's getting a new food processing plant. It'll create 1,500 jobs, cost uh, taxpayers a whole $62 million in corporate welfare. But of course, three other operations have to shut down, which means 300 jobs are now gone. I'll start with you on this, Miriam, because um, you're the new guest here. Can we not do business in this country without paying for it? I feel like we're getting to the point where there's subsidies or loans or government investment for literally almost anything. And I feel like every political party does it. You know, we saw the conservative do it under Stephen Harper, the liberal under several um, premiers or prime ministers. I feel like it's really getting the norm. And I don't like it because uh, subsidies, they distort the market. Yeah. And so there, if you if you receive a ton of government subsidies, you're able to pay your workers more than the other person who doesn't get any kind of subsidy. So you're able to get more talented workers and you're able to maybe make a better product, but it's not fair for your, your competitors. Yeah. And there's also sometimes it seems to be extremely arbitrary who gets subsidies and by how much. And I just don't like it. Well, it depends on what kind of lobbyist you're able to hire. I mean, really, it's about whose pocket you can get into and who you can get uh, in front of uh, to get this. But this is bipartisan now, uh, Michael. People just are getting sick and tired of this. You know, so there's a few uh, points to touch on here. One, there are there are times where government investments are important, but those should be very, very... 2008 made sense. Those should be very, very... Mm -hmm. No, 2008, I'm going to touch on that in a second. 2008, part of it made sense. Part of it didn't make sense. And we saw the results of that yesterday. Yes. <laughs> uh, but so, so governments have to be very, very picky and choosy, to use a uh, awful phrase there, uh, on when and how they, they do invest. Uh, invest. Uh, number two, supply management. Folks like to vilify supply management. But if we are to get rid of supply management, we will be subsidizing our dairy industry in this country because it's Canada. That's what we're going to do. And this way, we put the expense on the consumer instead of all taxpayers. So that's why I personally support supply management, because I know that the alternative in Canada will be worse, because I don't buy dairy, I think it's repulsive. I don't pay the uh, the extra. I don't pay the tax. I, it doesn't cost me money. Third, in 2008, we saw the government infuse a whole lot of money into the auto sector to save it. There was no saving the auto sector. Right. It was broken. That's why Mitt Romney in 2009 wrote an op-ed in the New York Times, let Detroit go bankrupt, because by giving them that money, we were reinforcing bad behavior. Well, it's like giving uh, a drug addict drugs. Just yeah. keep the cycle well, but, going. Except we're supposed to do that in Toronto, I think. <laughs> but... Uh, but Instead of letting them break, letting the new the auto sector reimagine itself, reinvent itself, we gave them money to continue doing what they're doing. And yesterday we saw the result of that. Right. But, Mariam, you know how political is. Certainly in places like Quebec, Bombardier has not earned mm-hmm. one nickel. And yet we give them bags of money with never. And we keep getting kicked in the head over and over. We never put conditions on it. And it just it's about votes. I know, and I feel like also some industries, a bit like Bombardier in Quebec, they become so big that they cannot fail. So the government 
is basically in a situation where it almost has no option but to give money. And that's also that's also an issue specifically related to Bombardier in Quebec uh, or to some to when some towns, um, they have only one big business that employs almost the entire town or the entire city. Sometimes it creates the same kind of dynamic. Um, I would say that there are, for instance, you can have a subsidy, you can have a tax credit. I feel like I prefer when the government goes with tax credit to kind of jumpstart an industry. I know, for instance, in Quebec, they did a lot of these for a video game and it, yeah. it gave good results. And right now the video game industry in Quebec is thriving and it's not with subsidies. It's, you know. It, oh, wow. That's new. Mm-hmm. It that's pays for itself eventually well, if it, you do it, it that way. That's the goal. Yeah. No. All right. Uh, Jerry Dias uh, making it clear that workers are not going anywhere. GM is not closing. So they are <laughs> they are digging in. But he said he met with the prime minister today, who apparently has not lost hope, which I think is political speak for. He gave him the old uh, go for it. You can do it. But the bottom line is Dias says there will be a price to be paid should the government fail to keep GM alive in Canada. But it's not going to survive. But because General Motors, with the ink not even being dry in the new NAFTA, knowing that they have years before the new one is going to be implemented, in my opinion, just showed the President of the United States and the Prime Minister of Canada their middle finger. Right. But again, we didn't put conditions into the bailout, Michael, and it was an industry that was dying and it was a business model that was supported that never should have been supported. But this feels like it's all being very politicized, whether it's Jerry Dias, whether it's Justin Trudeau, even Andrew Sheehan. I think they're all politicized. You know what? I'll actually say this. Uh, Premier Ford and Justin Trudeau, I think, have been appropriate. The least appropriate thing that I've heard attributed to Justin Trudeau came from Jerry Dias. So I'm not going to really give it much credit and I'm no fan of uh, Justin Trudeau's. But with Jerry Dias going out there, Diaz, Diaz. Yeah, I was. It was a nice reminder yesterday when he started talking about auto workers that he actually runs a union that represents auto workers, not a third-party advocacy group that's sole purpose is to attack Andrew Scheer, which is just bizarre since I think most of his members are going to vote for Andrew Scheer if you look at uh, the federal conservatives hold Oshawa, and I think we'll continue with Colin Carey out there. But um, uh, to, to go and say that there's going to be a plant here and hope isn't lost, you know, uh, there's a time you got to be appropriate. And Premier Ford yesterday was appropriate. He talked about, about, about training about getting new benefits, about getting help for people yeah. because they need help. Uh, selling false hope is very irresponsible. Which, which Andrea Horvath, I get it. She's the opposition. It's her job to oppose mm-hmm. things. But again, this didn't happen overnight. This was months in the making, Miriam. And I think we're doing these people much more of a disservice by filling their heads with hope that it's going to come back to life. I definitely feel you on this. I, I agree with 100 percent. Um Doug Ford, obviously, he knows the situation. He's a premier. You know, he was briefed. He knows what's going on. If Dogford says that the best thing we need we can do is to focus on you know getting um, EI benefits, retraining, these kind of things, I think I think he's he's right with this, and I think he was very de- dignified when he was talking about that. And I agree that what the union um, leader is doing is maybe a little bit, um, yeah, like you said, it's not right to sell face hope and. You know, when GM announced such a big business decision, it means it's final. You know, they wouldn't go around and say something if there's a risk that they might change their mind because you you just look ridiculous as a business. They're not not trying to bargain here. They're not trying to bargain over five huge operations. Mm -hmm. Well, I think they're uh, they're done. Their goose is cooked. Hopefully, but... the good the good union members, Jerry Dias union members, look at his antics over the last couple of months and seek new leadership. On well, I hope they don't make the mistake of sitting around and waiting for a solution. Like you've lost your job, it's terrible, but now you have a year. Go get the skills, get out there, start networking. Because if you wait the whole year, 
thinking that something's going to come. It does yeah. not. I was out of work for four years and it was hell. It doesn't just come to you. You got to go get it. Um, quickly want to talk before we go to break. The RCMP, we're getting new information on Raj Gruel, who uh, just stepped down last week. This is the liberal MP who said he was stepping aside for personal and health issues. And now we're starting to learn uh, new details. You know, he had been followed by the RCMP for months Months they were looking at him, analyzing his visits to gambling sites, casinos near Parliament Hill, and there were millions of dollars in transactions. How was he approved to run the government? Would Justin Trudeau not know that the RCMP were looking into this stuff? I'm not too sure how it works. I don't know if when a, the, the the federal liberals, when they do their, their vetting, I don't know if they have access to internal RCMP um, investigations. I also don't know if this gambling issue started after he was elected um, in 2015 or if it was older than this. But there was um, enough smoke around there that, that I mean, they they could, should have known there were flags waving, no? I would say a bit like alcohol or drug consumption. Sometimes, you know, sometimes it's going on for years and sometimes it starts, you know, maybe a year ago or two years ago. So I will give the benefit of the doubt to the liberals, the federal liberals. Maybe when they vetted that candidate, yeah. there was really no red flags at all. Albeit there was the ethics investigation but of, that, again, of bringing that was... the consultant to, to India, this this construction worker that I guess he had given legal advice to. But again, there was an ethics investigation going on too. So at some point when they're vetting to see, well, can you run again? That may have served as a warning. Sure. So yeah, it, this would not have been an issue in 2015. Again, we don't know when the, addic- the addiction yeah. and uh, issue started there. It's just a very, 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 very sad. Yeah. Uh, the, what drives people to gamble to that extent is often uh, mental health mm-hmm. uh, breakdowns and conditions. Yeah. And it, it's absolutely an addictive addiction like, like many others. And it's one that really destroys lives. And uh, often governments are the ones who who are unfortunately benefiting from it so they don't yeah. discourage it <laughs> like they do some of the other uh, uh, terrible addictions uh, that that cripple people's lives. So it, it's sad. Uh, it's it just sad across the board. This is a guy who appeared to have a very bright future. Yeah. Um, had he not been a member of parliament, uh, the loans and other lines of credits he was getting would have just gone completely under the radar and probably would have spiraled out of control. Yeah. So hopefully uh, he can go and get the help he needs and rebuild his life and uh, maybe serve again. But uh, just... Uh, sad, sad situation. Yeah, and it's definitely a, a potential conflict of interest because if you owe a ton of money to people and you're an MP, even if you're not a minister, as an MP, you still have a lot of power, you know, you, yeah. especially when you're an MP yeah. in, the, in the Liberal Party, which is in power, you can phone up a minister and say, hey, you know, this this regulation, can we tweak it a little bit? And maybe that really benefits the business interest of yeah. someone he owes money to. So that's a terrible conflict of interest and situation for an elected official to be in. So I'm glad he stepped out. Yeah, I, I don't think we've heard the whole story here. I'm sure it's going to come out. Oh. It's, mm-hmm. it's an as, ugly story all the way around. As we saw with yeah. the uh, resignation uh statement that he made, the acknowledgement from the uh, Prime Minister's office, there's always a lot more than they say. People just shouldn't talk at first, frankly. Yeah, I know. Yeah, haven't we learned that? Hey, no name calling here. Just differing opinions going head to head. With Counterpoint. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. We got Michael Diamond and Miriam Denis joining. I just like to say the name Denis. It's like my only French that I get. Denis. Am I saying right? Yes, you are. There you go. All right, let's talk quickly about this uh, nine years into a life sentence. Melissa Todorovic now getting full-time day parole. This is nine years into a life sentence, and I covered this case, so I can tell you how manipulative it is. 
And, you know, my question comes down, because we've done so many of these, like, why can no one just serve the life sentence? I mean, she took a life. I get it. She's young. She'll get out at some point. But is it really asking so much when you've stabbed to death a 14-year-old girl, left her to die in a snowbank that you can't serve at least 25 years? You see, I think life should actually mean life. So she, yeah, so she should never, ever, ever get out. I, my, my, my preference would be to uh, treat her as they would in the United States and execute her. <laughs> I could tell you that you are just carefully getting around that area. But, I, you know, I don't know if you go that far. But, I mean, look, I don't have any time for this girl. And uh, I've seen her. I've been around her. She's not remorseful. And yet here she is walking around. No, I mean, for, first of all, I don't really know much about this case because I was, I was not living in Ontario yet yeah. when it happened. So it's, today is the first time I heard about it. But it, I feel like nine years out seems a little bit too um, too short for me. I do think that we need to have, because, you know, you want to give incentive to people to behave well in prison. So I do think that it's okay to kind of tell some people, oh, you will get, your, we let you out after a certain number of years. And you, who's a hassle in prison and who stabs people in prison and who, uh, I don't know, like gets drug inside the right, prison, we're not manipulating you system. out. I mean, look, if, if everyone says you'll get out, but you just have to be good, then someone could be in there and go, okay, I'll just be good for nine years and then I'll be a psychopath. I do think nine years is too um, too short, but I don't totally disagree with, you know, a system that lets some people, if there's um, some circumstances, like if you're very young when you did no. the crime or if... You know what and I mean? And that's why but I come nine, back to it. years seems well, too young We have a Young Defenders me. Act. Well, we that. do, but she was charged as a youth. She was covered. We covered the trial. She was not named because she was protected by mm-hmm. those laws. But the judge said, this girl is so manipulative and so dangerous, I'm actually going to you know, sentence her as an adult. There was a reason he sentenced her as an adult to, to yeah, the which sentence. Which is pretty rare. So, I mean, it that's saying rare. a lot. Yeah. And uh, yeah. uh, we should trust our judges in certain cases. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on at the Scotiabank Center. I'd love oh. to know who is there or what the crowds are like. But Bill and Hillary Clinton are uh, sitting in front of some fake trees on a big stage um, sharing stories. It's called An Evening with the Clintons. Miriam, uh, who, who today would pay for a ticket to this? <laughs> Um, I guess people who are big fans and, you know, I guess some businesses who bought some tables. Do you feel differently about him now that we are so focused on the Me Too movement? Do you think we have started to view him differently now? Definitely. But I would say um, as I was growing up, because, you know, when the the Lewinsky thing happened, I was I was a kid, you know, and I kind of learned more about it when I I was a teenager. And at some at some point I was like, I kind of viewed the story as like, oh, he cheated on his wife. He's a bad man. But then as I grew a bit older in my 20s and when I started working in my in my career, I realized it's not just a story about cheating. He took advantage of an intern. He's the boss. He's the president of of the United States. He's definitely the boss of everyone who works at the White House and you cannot do that. So I feel I feel like quite frankly I'm surprised there was not more um backlash against Bill Clinton in I know in the we, last year for whatever reason he's and I'm watching there's the they've got this series the the Hillary Clinton whatever it is with uh, Monica Lewinsky I started watching it on the weekend I've got two more left to go but it really is an interesting and fascinating look into what she went through as a young 20ish year old woman and thank god there was not 24/7 social media because she was ripped oh, to shreds she was the first victim of yeah. cyberbullying yeah. before there was the yeah. phrase was even uh, coined so I mean uh, uh, the treatment of Monica Lewinsky who Hillary Clinton called a narcissistic looney tune, 
when yeah. her husband sexually harassed her uh, in the White House and then lied about it to the nation. But let's not just stop at Monica Lewinsky. Let's talk about Kathleen Willey, yep. who uh, Bill Clinton sexually assaulted. Juanita let's Broderick. talk about Juanita Broderick, who Bill Clinton, uh, who claims Bill Clinton raped her. There's a whole list of people. Then to Denny Williams, the, uh, the, the fellow who claims to be Bill Clinton's illegitimate son. It goes on and on and on. This man is disgusting. He is likely a rapist. He is definitely a sex- sexual predator. And that anyone would pay money to see him is just... It's just disgusting. I went and looked at the seats that were available, though, and it made me very happy that most of the ones that were taken, it was like less than half half sold for sure. Seven hundred bucks for uh, a ticket to that. But <laughs> the 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 ones that were closest were the ones at the furthest back. So at least, like, <laughs> if I had a daughter who who insisted on going to see see these this awful awful couple, I'd be somewhat comfortable with her sitting in the very far away because You'd she'd send be, her a chance. She'd at least be away from sex predator Bill Clinton. There you go. Well, mincing no words, there. Twitter now banning anyone who speaks out or questions transgender issues. So if you were to, I guess, say the wrong pronoun accidentally and offend someone, or if or if you dead name someone, so if you called um, uh, uh, Caitlyn Jenner, Bruce Jenner, that's not allowed. But now we also learn Google technology is not going to suggest gender-based pronouns because everyone's risking that uh, to worry about, you know, alienating or offending someone. I think this is a very dangerous road to go down, Miriam, because the fact is there is a conversation to be had. There is a discussion. There is a debate. And we do believe in free speech. Nope, I do- oh, we don't. Ahead, sorry. Sorry, sorry. We, don't believe, free but we don't believe in free speech <laughs> well, in this country anymore. Yeah. Well, we do, but Twitter doesn't. Um, I do, yeah, I just wanted to add a precision on the thing about Twitter, because me as well, when I heard about Twitter and the thing with the names, like let's say you say Bruce Jenner instead of Kat- Kathleen and all of that, I went and I read the policy and I read a little bit about it. And it's a bit unclear. It's unclear if someone tweets, for instance, Bruce Jenner was amazing when he did the Olympics. It's unclear if you would be considered like as an harasser on Twitter and if you would but that's be banned. crazy. It's crazy to it's, think that you'd be a harasser because you said mm-hmm. Bruce Jenner is a documented athlete world. He was on the uh, world Olympic. Box. Was, yeah. And he was on a television show for many years. He changed over. But at one point he was Bruce. Definitely. And I feel I don't personally think that is harassment. But let's say there's someone who's a transgender person. And let's say you went from being, I don't know, um, Mike to Cynthia. And then let's say someone, every day they come and they tweet at you. Hey, Mike, Mike, what's up? Hey, Mike, how are you doing? I feel like that would be, you know, a little but, bit weird. Yeah, yeah I mean, I'm having them. I'm having Megan Murphy on the show at 930 because she's been banned from mm-hmm. Twitter. And, and look, she's a feminist who speaks out against these issues because she feels that they infringe on women's rights. But again, she's been banned from Twitter. And the things she says are not offensive. So you know who would have been banned from Twitter at one point? Uh, Nicholas Copernicus, uh, because he dared to question the uh, conventional wisdom. Yes. And that's what's scary about this is if we're going to, if folks who have a view outside the mainstream are always censored, are always yeah. pushed out, uh, how are we actually going to learn more? Well, yeah, exactly. We, because we create an echo chamber and drive the conversation underground. Mm-hmm. All right. But the thing about Google, I just wanted to add us also. So it's about their predictive writing um, software, so artificial intelligence. And um, so, you know, if you want to write something and you want to use a different pronoun than what Google is suggesting, you're allowed to do it. I think it's just with in, with uh, intelli- uh, artificial intelligence. Text. Sometimes it's not always super intelligence. Like yeah. we've seen a, an example I got a guy's Google. name. I grew People up- were writing Jews are and Google was finishing evil. So yeah. that was a big... Uh, <laughs> 
a big no-no. You know what I mean? So yeah, I can yeah. kind of understand why they're a bit like... Well, it's like predictive text on your phone. It's yeah. always a mess. Well, look, exactly. I, I got a guy's name and I look like a guy growing up. And I can't tell you how many people have called me Mr. Pearson. If I got offended every single time someone still to this day called me Mr. Pearson, I mean, honestly, gotta let it go. Gotta let it go, guys. Thank you for joining Michael Diamond. We got Miriam Denis on her first role. <laughs> Thank okay. you. All right, there you go. You're listening to On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio.